Welcome to the Cowie Baptist Church podcast. To learn more about Cowie, including in our gathering times, visit us online at cowie.church. Enjoy the message. What a beautiful time of worship. What a beautiful, what a beautiful song and what a beautiful reminder that we come together this morning and we praise God for all that he has done, all that has been accomplished through the death, burial, and resurrection, through the cross of Jesus Christ, and we come uh, to worship him not only for what he has done, but for uh, just who he is. And uh, if you will, let's, let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, we're grateful. God, we're grateful for all that you've done. Lord, to think that upon the cross of Calvary that you took all of my sin and all of my shame. Lord, that you became sin on my behalf, Lord, so that in Christ that I might become the righteousness of God. What a gift. Lord, I pray as we open your word this morning, God, that we would learn from your word. God, that we would be reminded of who you are. We, we would be reminded of all that has been accomplished through the cross of Christ, that we would, uh, God, hear and remember the greatness of the gospel. And Lord, that because of it, we might live lives changed for the glory of your name. Lord, we ask for your will and way in every life, Lord, and we promise just to give you praise. Lord, we love you, we thank you, and we ask this in Jesus' holy and mighty name. Amen. Welcome this morning. Uh, so grateful uh, to be able to worship together, to be uh, together uh, in the, the house of the Lord, just to uh, lift high his name. If you are uh, a guest with us this morning or you are uh, maybe connected online, uh, my name is Jason Smith. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm so grateful that you are here. Uh, we would love to connect with you. We'd love to share a gift with you and just learn uh, a little bit more uh, about you. Uh, we'd love for you to take a moment and, and just stop by our guest service table as you uh, leave this morning and allow us just to love on you. We promise not to do anything weird and like show up at your house after a while or anything crazy uh, like that. But as you already connect, we would love to do that. We are in the midst of uh, a journey as a church. And I want to say congratulations, church. We are uh, crossing over into the New Testament uh, this morning. If you've been worshiping with us, we've been in a reading plan that we began in January. And we've been on a, a journey through the great big story of Scripture. And uh, this past week, uh, we uh, began to walk through the Gospels. And so it was Christmas in August, right, as we uh, began to read those first chapters of the Gospels. And we're so expectant of how God will work as we continue to journey through the scriptures this year. And as Paul Harvey used to say, uh, you, you can get kind of the rest of, of the story. And so we're going to preach. And uh, unless the Lord stirs my heart different, I've been preaching from a passage within uh, that reading plan each week and trying to connect this overarching uh, story of the scriptures. And then through the week, you get the rest of the story. And so we invite you to join us uh, on that journey. And again, it's an incredible time to jump in as we begin uh, to walk through uh, just the, the New Testament. There's really some key passages along the way. Uh, you'll see some paper copies of that reading plan available uh, as you exit. And then also at cowie.church forward slash disciple or in the church app. And if you don't have that, you should have that. Uh, there's some interactive sermon notes that are in there each week. And we would love for you to download that and just stay connected 
throughout uh, the week. So as we jump in, for those of you uh, that have been journeying with us, you remember that we uh, were in the book of Malachi. We were uh, last week really at the last book of the Old Testament. And so if you were to, were to take uh, your copy of God's Word and you were to be at the last chapter of Malachi, you'd probably see a, a blank page uh, that would be between it and the book of Matthew. And I want to remind you that that represents about 400 uh, years in the Scripture. Now, last week we looked at how the priesthood had defiled, uh, had blasphemed the altar of God. Uh, we saw uh, that, that in the midst of this, right, that, that uh, the disobedience to God, that this blasphemy of the altar, uh, altar of God had, had reached a point where they're going to experience this, uh, this silent period, right, of 400 years, right? And before God gives them this silence, we saw him give them a reminder of his promise. He reminded them uh, that the Messiah was coming and that there was going to be a messenger that would come before him and he was going to clear a path for him to walk through, that he was going to prepare prepare the way of the Lord. And in today's passage, we're going to be in John chapter one, one of the most just power packed uh, passages in all the scripture, one of my favorite passages. And we're going to see uh, these two people. We're going to see Jesus, the Messiah, and we're going to see John the Baptist. And so we're going to look at those two people. And I want to tell you the kind of the, the premise of where I'm going this morning. I want to tell you that, that I believe John the Baptist was a great and incredible example of a kingdom influencer. Now, you might say, what is a kingdom influencer? And I, I'm, I'm going to tell you, I made up a definition for it. I'll share that with you in a few minutes. But, but we'll start out with maybe a, a more surface level question. And you could ask some of the young people in the room, what is an influencer? And most of the, the students in the room and the young people in the room know immediately what an influencer is. Now, for some of us that are a little low, uh, older along the way, when we think about an influencer, we might just define it very simply. If you were to open up the, the dictionary, it would just say a person or a thing that influences another. But when we talk about an influencer in today's economy, in today's uh, culture that we live in, uh, it's a, a person who has the ability to influence buyers, right? A person who has the ability... Uh, to influence maybe buyers of a particular product or a particular service uh, by simply promoting that or recommending that item. These are giants on uh, social media platforms. I, I was talking to some young uh, boys, and if you talk to a boy that's between the ages of nine and maybe 12 years old, maybe even a little bit younger, and you were to say, what do you want to be when you grow up, right? Most of the time in the old days, people said, I want to be a fireman. I want to be a police officer, right? I want to do those kind of things. Now, some of those kids will be like, I want to be a YouTuber. It's like, that's what I want to do. Like, I, I can remember moments like that, that some of uh, the, the children, right, that I know, uh, even our church would say, you know what, what do you want, what do you want for your birthday? What do you get for Christmas? They're like, I got a camera. Like, I'm going to start my vlog. I'm going to start my YouTube channel. I'm going to record myself playing video games. And next thing you know, I'm going to be rich, right? And, and some of us kind of look at that and we laugh, but y'all are the same ones that sit in front of somebody that's putting on makeup for like an hour and a half in their little story on the top of the thing. And the goal for that is to look really bad at the beginning and look really good at the end, right? That's the only goal I can figure out. Because it's like, I mean, I like scroll through them and it's like, it's like you've been on extreme makeover or something. I don't know. And so, and, and so you're that, you look at that, right? And they say, hey, I'm an expert at doing all this thing. And if you'll buy this product, you're going to look beautiful, right? People that lose weight, I'll look at those sometimes. I've been trying to be disciplined and, and look at some of those things and you'll find somebody that used to... Uh, be larger and now they're smaller, right? And they say, hey, if you'll buy this product, it'll be a great thing. Those people are influencers. Now, some of those people, they are, are influencers for, for just certain things like that. But then others, 
They're just influencers because they have just a tremendously large following, right? There's people that have just an incredible number of people that are following them. I was, I was looking online and I, I looked at one of the most highly trending YouTube videos. There's a guy named Jimmy uh, who has created this YouTube channel. And some of you may have thought, you know, I can't imagine somebody wanting to be a YouTuber when they grow up. Jimmy, he's one of the most highly paid YouTubers. And as of 2021, check this out. He had earned as much as $54 million from various advertisements and sponsorship contracts as well as products like clothing and video games. He launched his own ice cream brand. Uh, this guy, like, I mean, he's using this platform and his desire is that this platform that he has, that it would further his pocketbook and that it would hit, make him uh, famous, right? These, these YouTubers, these influencers, they're in it to grow their own thing. I, I was looking uh, at just kind of the top People that were out there, one of the top social media uh, folks on Instagram was a soccer player. And this soccer player, uh, he has more following, I believe, than any other person on Instagram. And so I was checking this guy out. He's got a link to his website. Now, he's a professional soccer player, but I noticed that he's also dabbling in some other things, right? He's selling eyewear, got like his own eyewear line. He had his own footwear line. I can kind of see how that worked, right? And, I, and he even had his own underwear line. I'm like, what is this guy? Got all these different platforms that he's selling things. All these different things that are somehow furthering uh, his uh, agenda, furthering those kind of things. Now, there's a, a carefulness about influencers because we live in a cancel culture. And so if they're going to further a certain agenda, they want to be careful because if they go uh, in, in a way that offends somebody or they go away that goes a different direction, then there's this fear that somehow they'll be canceled and all of a sudden their influence will go away. And so there's this constant tension for those. But I want to challenge you this morning uh, to look at John the Baptist, to look at this reality that we can be kingdom influencers. What is a kingdom influencer? I'm glad you asked. Okay, let's look. Kingdom influencer. This is a definition that we'll use for the next couple of weeks. And it says this, uh, a person who uses the platform that God has given them to glorify him. Okay, this is a kingdom influencer. Now, this is a selfless, God-glorifying, kingdom-furthering agenda. And I want to remind you this morning that no matter how big your platform or how small your platform, you have influence for the kingdom of God if you were a follower of Jesus Christ. And our goal and our role is to glorify him, and he is worthy of all of our praise. Now, if you've been walking through the Old Testament, you know the Old Testament was going toward a, a destination. And I want to remind you this morning that Jesus is that destination, that the Old Testament was filled with this promise that was given to Abraham, this promise that we saw early in the scriptures and this promise that God uh, would work in a way that he would, he would work through the children of Israel, that he would uh, make a promise to the children of Israel, that he would fulfill in Jesus. And as we said earlier, there's this one big story that we've been looking at. Those of you that remember uh, sort of a timeline that we've looked at along that journey, we remember that as we opened the word of God in January, we saw in the beginning and in the beginning, God created. We saw that he created the heavens and the earth that he created all the things that were in that, but he also created humanity and he created man and he created us to reflect his image, to multiply a godly legacy uh, of worshipers that would follow. But we see that we're just a couple of pages in the scripture and there's an incredibly difficult uh, event that takes place. We see uh, the fall, right? We barely get into the story and we see that we rebelled against God and as a result, the world spiraled into chaos. Evil was all around. And we're reminded even 
In Genesis 3.15, where we see this promise uh, of the Messiah, right? We see this promise of the one that would crush the head of the serpent. We see even in the midst of the fall, God's uh, promises uh, into the midst of that. We see greater uh, a promise that he gives to Abraham. Uh, we see kind of this third uh, section of the journey where God has promised that, uh, that to Abraham that through uh, his people, that through his lineage, that he would bring blessing and salvation to the world, that he would work through Old Testament Israel, even though they were unfaithful, that God was going to be faithful and that he is a covenant keeping God. And so everything we've been walking through this year has been looking toward Jesus. And today we arrive in the gospels and we arrive at really the centerpiece of the story of scripture, right? The gospel where God uh, keeps his promise through his son, Jesus, through Jesus who dealt with sin on the cross of Calvary where uh, he dealt with evil, where he dealt with sin, and through his death and resurrection, we see God's promises fulfilled. Now, you say, where are we at in the story, right? And we see us in number five, right? That since uh, the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the commissioning of us to go into all the world and make disciples, we see that we are, are a people, all of those who are Jesus followers are commissioned to make disciples in the power of the Holy Spirit, proclaiming the good news of salvation to every nation, to every tribe, to every tongue, that's who we are as followers of Christ, and that's where we're at in the story. And we look ahead to that day that Jesus will return, and after final judgment and after de destruction of all that is evil, that God will live forever with his redeemed people from every nation and every tribe. We look ahead to that glorious day of the new creation. And so here we are, John chapter 1, and we want to think about, listen, John the Baptist is willing to use everything for the glory of Jesus. And so John, the apostle John, is going to give us a picture of who he is. Now, I hope today we'll answer three questions, or at least begin to do that. Number one, who is Jesus? There's been this promised Messiah that we've been looking for. There's been this promised Messiah that all the Old Testament has been moving toward. Who is Jesus? We'll also look at the question, who is John? And I hope it causes us to think just a little bit about who we are. And my hope is that by the end of the day that you would say, you know what, I am a kingdom influencer for the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is not about me, but it is about him. John chapter one, uh, let, let's just read if you would uh, stand with me this morning in honor of the authority of God's word, of his infallible, inerrant, authoritative word, I, I want to read John chapter 1. We'll read John chapter 1, verse 1 to 14, and then also verse 29 this morning. Let's read the word of God uh, together. Scripture says this, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man sent from God, whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light, so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him, but as many as received him. As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And then in verse 14, the scripture says, and the word became 
flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Skip down to verse 29. The next day, speaking of John the Baptist, said he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Let's pray. Father, we pray, God, that you would bless the reading of your word. God, we pray that you would allow us to see truths, God, that are so foundational uh, from this passage of Scripture, Lord, and that it might cause us, Lord, to use every ounce of influence, every relationship, every platform, every job, every position, everything about our lives, Lord, in full surrender to you, God, that our desire might be not to glorify ourselves, Lord, but that you might be lifted high, Lord, that you might be glorified. Your word tells us that if you were lifted up, God, that you would draw all men to yourself. And God, I'm reminded that it was on the cross of Christ that Jesus was lifted up, Lord, and we... uh, We point to that gospel, Lord. We're reminded, Lord, of the gospel today. And that it's not just for lost people. That it's for all of us, Lord. And may we rejoice in the truth of your word, in the gospel. And Lord, may it cause us to live abandoned for the glory of your name. And it is in the strong and the mighty name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Y'all may be seated. So the question bears, who is Jesus? Now, John starts his gospel a little different than the others in the Christmas story, and he starts not with a manger, but he goes a little further back. Let's look at John chapter 1, beginning in in verse 1. The scripture says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, that word that we see uh, translated as word, it's a capital W, and when we see that word, it's a word in the Greek called logos, logos. You can uh, hear it pronounced kind of both of those ways, but uh, you see this word logos, and this word uh, meant something to the people that would have heard this in this time. It was a word that to the Greeks represented this impersonal uh, force of creation, this, this impersonal being that uh, that, that, that had, or impersonal force, right? That was the cause of all creation. And John is fixing to give them a new definition of this word. Uh, John is fixing to uh, give them a definition that is rooted in the person of Jesus Christ. And so we see this word uh, logos, this, this message, right? It simply means message or word in Greek. And it is a title of Jesus. And when we look at it in this passage, we're going to see, and we're going to see this definition, right, of, of it is a picture of what, what would be understood, right? That Jesus uh, is understood as God's ultimate revelation, his ultimate uh, communication of truth about who he is, truth about himself. Jesus we're going to see is pre-existent. John chapter 1, he says, listen, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is pre-existent. If you look at verse 2, he said, he was in the beginning with God. He was pre-existent. Jesus did not begin in the incarnation. We see that in the beginning, using very similar language that we would see in Genesis, that, that uh, the author of this gospel, John the Apostle, would want us to understand that Jesus didn't begin in the beginning, that Jesus began the beginning, that Jesus was pre-existent with the Father and the Spirit. We see a beautiful picture of that in Jesus' baptism. We see a beautiful picture of this Trinitarian God. We see the Father, we see the Son, we see the Holy Spirit descending 
like a dove. And so we're reminded that in the beginning, right, he was in the beginning with God, that Jesus is pre-existent. Now, in the beginning with God, it gives us this picture of face-to-face with God. And you say, you know what? This is something that, that we know, right? Jesus is God. I want you to understand this is critical to our understanding of the gospel. In the beginning, Jesus began the beginning because here's the truth. For all uh, time, there, there's been false teachings, and these false teachings have been discounting uh, the deity of Jesus Christ. These false teachings are teaching that Jesus was a created being. Islam would teach that Jesus was a messenger of God, but not God. Some, some religions would call him a wise teacher. Uh, the Arians of the old days, the Arian heresy, they would would deny the deity of Christ. Jehovah Witnesses of today would come to your door and they would use similar language when they talk about what the Bible would say. They would use similar language when they would talk about Jesus. But if you get down uh, to the root of where things are at, what they would tell you is that Jesus was not the creator God, but that he was a lesser created angel who was termed. And and if you look, and they they use a a translation uh, that they've made for themselves that has uh, polluted the word of God and, and they've taken the word of God and instead of it being uh, the, the capital G and the capital W the Bible they've taken that and they've said and the word was God and and it is a little G and can I remind you that there is nothing little about my Jesus this morning amen uh, and I want to understand something there there's nothing small about the greatness of our God we have a God and his name is Jesus and he has existed for all of eternity he doesn't have a beginning he has existed for all eternity past and he will exist through eternity future. Jesus said in, in John 8, 58, he said before Abraham, and notice in John 8, 58, he didn't say before Abraham, uh, I was. He said before Abraham, I am. Jesus has existed, right? When we read the prophecy in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, there's this prophecy that says, hey, out of Bethlehem, there's coming uh, forth one. And I want you to understand the scripture says that he is beginning was from the days of eternity. Jesus is the alpha and the omega. That's what Revelation 22 would tell us that he is the beginning and the end. Jesus is pre-existent. Jesus is preeminent. He is above all things. He is supreme in creation. He is eternal. Look at verse 3. All things. Can I just remind you, all things. That means everything. All things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing. Not one thing. Everything that you see, everything that exists, it came into being through him. And apart from him, there's nothing that came into being that has come into being. This is plain. Jesus is supreme in creation. He is preexistent. He is Can I remind you something else? Jesus is self-existent. He is in need of nothing. He is self-existent. He is supreme in all things. He is dependent on nothing. Uh, Colossians, Paul, when he wrote to the church at Colossae in in chapter 1, verse 17, uh, he would say this, that he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Uh, Can I remind you that not only is Jesus pre-existent and self-existent, but Jesus sustains existence. The very breath that we have, the very world that we live in, it is held together by his power. He is God. He is creator. He is sustainer, and he holds everything together in his power. 
Can I remind you, this morning when we sit in this room, they tell me that the earth is spinning at 1,000 miles per hour. Can you, can you just hold on to that for a second? When my kids were little, I would get on the teacups at Dollywoods and about spew my guts out, right, when they would spin me so fast. You're sitting, I'm, I'm telling you, man, I'd be like sick. I, I used to get my dad, when, when I finally got big enough to pick him up, like if you want to mess with him, pick him up, spin him around twice. He, he'll be ready to fight, but he can't because he's so out of balance. And here we are, right, spinning at a thousand miles per hour. The thing that brought that to my attention in my headlines right in the news, it said that on June 29, 2022, that the earth completed its spin 1.59 milliseconds earlier than normal. I don't know what that means, but it was a big deal to whoever was writing that article. And I want you to understand something. We have a God who is a big deal that holds this very world into existence. I, they tell me that we are orbiting around the sun at 67,000 miles per hour. I'm like blown away, right? This week, I, I was with my son. We were in the pool. We were playing in the pool, and like out of nowhere, he looks at me, and he said, this is the closest to the moon we can get. And I'm thinking, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, like, I must have had like 14 eyes, like four. I was like, I was like looking at him, well, you mean like we're close to the moon? He's like, gravity, Dad. I'm like, yeah, so that's awesome, right? And so here we are, and, and we see all of these things held together in his Power, right? Perfect tilt, perfect distance from the sun. And every bit of it is under his lordship, under his authority. He is before all things. He holds all things together. Can I remind you this morning that no matter what is going on in the midst of our circumstances, that he is the king of kings and he is the lord of lords and he is lord over all things. You know, this passage continues and there's so much. He says, in him was life and the life was the light of men and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. John the Baptist, right? He says he came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. For the sake of time, skip down to verse 14. Scripture says this, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. It tabernacled among us. And, and we saw his glory. Glory is of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Right? The incarnation. Right? We see the God who spoke this very world into existence. The God who holds and sustains this world in his hands. The second person of the Trinity, the God of heaven became a man and became dependent on others to care for him. I remember when my kids were little. I remember when the first time I held my, my, my kids and I look at them, I remember them reaching up and just grabbing my little finger and how small their hand was. I remember them just kind of holding on in that moment and I thought, oh my goodness, I am responsible for this and I'm going to break them like they're so little and you're trying to, can you imagine Mary as she's held the Savior in her hand? God had become flesh tabernacling among us as of the only begotten of the Father. The Son of God took on flesh and was born into the midst of this world. Charles Swindoll says this about the incarnation. He says, in a state of absolute perfection and undiminished deity, he willingly came to the earth leaving the angelic host who flooded his presence with adoring praise. He unselfishly accepted a role that would require him being misunderstood, abused, cursed, and crucified. He unhesitatingly surrendered the fellowship and perfection of the Father's glory 
for the lonely path of obedience and torturous death. The Son of God took on flesh and dwelt among us, lived among us, full of grace and truth. You know, when I hear those words in our culture, I'm thinking, how do those things exist at the same time? We said that we're people that are to speak the truth in love, that, that we are to be people that truth in love, as the scripture says, we, we read about Jesus and how he was full of grace and truth, how he demonstrated both of those things together. When we think about it, it's kind of like all grace or all truth. But Jesus gave us this picture of what it looked like to exhibit grace and truth. Spurgeon says this, he said, he does not hide from a man a truth, however terrible it may be. And we'd all, we'd all do well to, to soak this in. He says he doesn't hide from a man the truth, however terrible it may be, but he plainly declares the wrath of God against all unrighteousness. But when he has spoken terrible truth, he has uttered it in such a gracious and tender manner with so many tears of compassion for the ignorant and those who are out of the way that you are as much won by his grace as convinced by his truth. Our Lord's ministry is not truth alone nor grace alone, but it is a balanced, well-ordered system of grace and truth. This is who our Jesus is. And we're going to see that it was on the cross of Calvary that grace and truth met in the most perfect and beautiful way. Look at what John the Baptist testified about him in verse 15. Scripture says, John testified about him and cried out saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. He, he refers not only uh, to position, uh, to, to this higher rank, right? It's, it's not only uh, importance, but also time. He says, you know what? In, in the midst of this, now, Jesus was born into the flesh, right? Uh, six months after John. But John says, hey, he was before me. He, he, he was uh, the one that existed before me. Again, pointing to the preexistence of Jesus and also to his preeminence, that he is of first importance, right? In verse 16, for of his fullness, we have all received and grace upon grace. We, we could spend all day in this verse. Right, can I remind you that our God is so great that his grace is sufficient to meet all of our needs today, that his grace is sufficient to meet all of our needs yesterday, and his grace is sufficient to meet all of our needs for eternity. That is the greatness of our God. Verse 17, he goes on and says, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. Christ. He said the law was given through Moses. And what we understand about the law is, is that it reveals to us our need of a savior. Uh, some of you remember uh, a couple years back where I'm playing with my kids and I decided to go through the net on the trampoline. Uh, they just don't make them like they used to. And so, yeah. And so I go out this trampoline, I land on my shoulder and I go to the hospital. That's kind of the next logical move for the situation I was in. And uh, first thing they asked me, like, do you feel safe at home? My wife's like beside me. I'm like, pointing at my shoulder. <laughs> but here's the thing, right? They said, we're going to need to do an x-ray. And so they put me in there in the x-ray machine, you know, and they look in there and they scan my shoulder. I want you to know something. They could have done 5,000 x-rays and my shoulder wouldn't have got no better. 
All that x-ray could do was reveal the condition on the inside that they could see. And the law reveals a condition, right, on the inside. Our brokenness, our need of a Savior, our sinfulness. But it can do nothing to repair it. There's nothing that, that we could do, right, that we, we, can't, we can't be as good as we can, right? Some people say, how, how can you be uh, in the presence of the Lord? What can you do to be able to be in heaven? And they say, you know, I'm a pretty good person. No, the Scripture says that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that the wages of sin is death, eternal separation from God in a place called hell and that there's nothing that we could do to earn our salvation, that there's nothing that we could do. We couldn't work hard enough. We couldn't be good enough. There's none of those things that we could do. We couldn't keep the rules just as much as we can. We needed a Savior, and what we needed was the undeserved favor that God gave us through Jesus Christ. We needed His grace, right? Grace and truth, they were realized through Jesus Christ. And can I remind you again this morning that His grace is limitless, that it never runs out, that you are not too far from the grace of God this morning, that his death on the cross was sufficient for all of our sin. I want you to understand that his grace never runs out, that we can extend grace and we say, hey, where am I going to get grace for tomorrow? Well, you get it out of an overflow of the grace that's been extended to you in Jesus Christ. And you can know that that well is never going to run dry, that when you go there in the morning, his grace is going to be sufficient, that that there's going to be sufficient grace for that day. The undeserved favor of God, his grace. We have received grace. Look at verse 18. For no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. Jesus has revealed God to us. Jesus reveals the Father. The word was made flesh. Jesus said in John 14, he said, if you've seen the Father, he said, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. Verse 19, this is testimony of John. When the Jews sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? So we've seen just a little glimpse of who Jesus is. And then they say, John, who are you? Because we know that uh, and now, now here's how this thing w- was looking together. They had sent this committee, this uh, this investigative group and they've come from the Jews of Jerusalem and they're, they're priests and they're Levites and they're these people that are coming and they're, they're, they're looking to answer these questions that they've been looking for uh, for years. They've been looking to say, hey, are, are these some of the things that are promised to come in the end times? They said, first of all, are, are you the Messiah? And John's like, nope, not the Messiah. He said, are you Elijah? Nope. Now, in the synoptics, we see Jesus said that he came in the spirit uh, and power of Elijah. We see the fulfillment of, of the prophecy that we would see in Malachi 4. We would see those kind of things. But he says, are you Elijah? He said, nope. He said, well, who are you then? Right? That's what they ask in verse 22. They said, who, who are you? So that we may give an answer to those who sent us, right? John is drawing a crowd. And, and there's something significant that has changed, right? We, we see John is baptizing, right? And he is baptizing. He, he's preaching this message of repentance and, the, and this baptism of repentance. And he's saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, the Jews, they, they didn't baptize one another, right? The Jews, they, they were not baptized uh, as a Jew. The only people that Jews would baptize would be Gentile converts to Judaism. And so all of a sudden, there's these Jews. Jews that are being baptized. And, and the message is this, repent and, and turn from your sin for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And they're saying, who is it that, that's doing this? Why are you doing this? What is the authority that you have? Who are you in these moments? And he was quick. He says, I'm not the Christ. I'm not him. I'm not Elijah. And then they just ask him, who do you say that you are? And here's what he says in verse 23. He says, I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness. This is a, a prophecy of Isaiah in, in Isaiah 40. And he says, I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness make straight 
the way of the Lord. Now, they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing? We talked about that. And John answers them in verse 26. Look at verse 26 and 27. He says, he answered them saying, I baptize in water. But among you stands one whom you do not know. Notice that's a capital uh, O in one, right? He says, there's among you one that you don't know. And, and we've been hearing about his greatness already this morning. And he said, it is the one coming after me. He said, it is he who comes after me. The thong of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. He said, I'm just a voice. I'm, I'm the one Isaiah talked about, the one that, that is coming uh, among you. Uh, but he said, there is one that is among you who is worthy. There is one that is among you. Uh, and he said, Here, here's, here's how unworthy I am compared to him. He said, I'm not even worthy to, tie, to untie the thong of his sandal. And, and in this time, there were laws even that the only people that could be forced to do that would be slaves, that it was only slaves that could be made to untie the nasty, sweaty shoes. Uh, even a rabbi could not make his disciples do that, could not ask his disciples to do that. Uh, they, they would walk on these old roads and the animals would be loose. And you can imagine all the things that they would step in and the sweaty nastiness of all those things. And here, John the Baptist says, listen, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. I'm not even worthy in that. And, and what we see is just this incredible picture of humility. He said, I'm, I, I'm less than a slave compared to the one who is coming after me. I'm unworthy in light of the Savior. And, and here's what I want you to see. John the Baptist he lost himself in the sight of the Savior. It wasn't so much uh, about all of a sudden John thinking less of himself, but, but I think it was C.S. Lewis that said true humility is thinking of ourself less. It became not about John. It was never about him. It was all about Jesus. And can you see this moment where all of a sudden John looks and in verse 29, he sees the Savior. L look at the word of God. The scripture says the next day he saw Jesus coming to him and he looked and he said, behold, look right there. God revealed to him, right? He looks and he sees Jesus. And everything, I believe, made sense. Look at the way he referred to Jesus. He said, look right there, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. See, Jesus is the lamb that the Old Testament has been pointing to. He is the, the lamb that the Old Testament has been prophesying, pointing to all the time. Do you remember when we looked at Abraham and Isaac? There was this moment, right, where, uh, where Abraham uh, is with Isaac, and Isaac speaks to his dad, Genesis 22, 7. And his dad says, hey, I'm right here, son. And he says, listen, I see some things. He said, I see the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb. Where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And we see this faith that he had. And he said, God himself will provide a lamb. He said, where is the lamb? And that was the question through the Old Testament. Where is the lamb? Right? Hundreds of years later, as we looked at the Passover, right? The children of Israel, they're enslaved in Egypt. And we read these words that if you will take the blood of a lamb and you will take that blood and you will apply it to the door lentils, if you will do that, that when the death angel comes, that the death angel will pass over your house. And here we are in the gospels and John the Baptist looks and he looks out and, and here's what 
what we see as we read the Gospels, as we begin to walk into the New Testament, what they are declaring is not, where is the Lamb? But they are declaring, behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. Christ, He is our Passover Lamb. He is the Lamb of God, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God that was sacrificed on our behalf. We see through the Old Testament, right, that it was the blood of the Lamb that saved the people. His blood, it was a substitute. It was shed as a substitute. The lamb, the blood of the lamb was shed. And it was a lamb in the Old Testament that would point to us and and would look toward the lamb of God, the blood of Christ that would be shed for our sin. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 18 and 19 says, Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life, inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless the blood of Christ you remember last week in Malachi the priests they were bringing the lame and they were bringing uh, these sacrifices that were not their best and we said you know what God desires the first and the best and what we see is all that was pointing to the first and the best the spotless sinless lamb of God that would be slain in our place the lamb of God that would take away the sin of the world right the so substitutionary atoning blood of Christ, the sacrificial death of Jesus in our place. And when we read the gospels and when we land in the story of the gospel, the the key thing that we've got to see, and the Old Testament has been pointing to it, the Old Testament has continued to point to the substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus Christ, right? The key word in the gospel, right? It is a substitution. It's what separates. Listen, this is the thing. And, And we go back and we say that Jesus is God, that he is pre-existent, that he is preeminent, that he is self-sufficient, that he sustains all things, that he is self-existent, that he took on flesh and that he dwelt among us and he was a substitutionary atonement. It is what separates the gospel from all other religions. See, all other religions teach you, do this. Listen, if you want to to be in the presence of God, you've got to do all these things. You've got to to say this. You've got to rub this. You've got to face this way this many times a day and pray. You've got to do all of these things. Don't do this. Pray this. Repeat this. Do this. Do that. But the gospel does none of those things. The gospel comes and says, this is what Jesus has already done. And what he's done, you know, when we sing that song, we should reflect like we come and our worship, right, should be pleasing to God because it is our best and it is our first. And it is reflecting on the Lamb of God that came to take away the sin of the world, right? The gospel is about what Jesus has already done for us. Every other religion, it's about a prophet that somehow is telling you what you must do to earn God's favor. But Jesus come and and he came in our place. In Christianity, we read in 2 Corinthians 5 that Jesus made, or God made him, Jesus, God made Jesus to be sin on our behalf, right? He made him who knew no sin, the scripture says, to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus is our savior, the King of kings and Lord of lords, the one who does for us what we could never do for ourselves, And he gives us salvation as a gift. He does what we couldn't do. And he gives it to us as a grace gift, right? Something that we don't deserve. The lamb of God, full of grace and truth. Seen perfectly displayed on the cross. You know, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. 
And God's holiness and his justice requires that sin must be punished. But our God, in his infinite grace and in his mercy, he has provided a way that his wrath may be appeased and that sinful, broken humanity can be reconciled to him. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. It is through the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ, the payment for our sins. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is our propitiation. The scripture would describe it, and it is a payment. Jesus is the payment that satisfies. And if there's anything else that you're standing on to be able to be in the presence of God, if you were to die, if you were to stand before God, if you would say, if there's anything other than what Jesus has already done, if there's anything other than, than trusting and believing in the finished work of Jesus, there's nothing, there's nothing that appeases the wrath of God. And we see on the cross that God's justice and his grace, that his truth, that his love, that his mercy, that everything intersects on the cross of Christ. Have you ever trusted him? As your Savior, have you ever believed the gospel of Jesus Christ? Turn from your sin and turn to him. If you haven't, I want to invite you this morning. You know, as we read this passage, there's a, there's a part in the early part of John 1 where he says that he came to his own and his own received him not. It gives us this picture that there would be some that would reject him. But then the scripture says, but as many as received him, he gave them the right to become sons and daughters of God, even to those who would believe on his name. Even to those of us today who would, who would look to the cross and say, when Jesus died on that cross, it was all of my sin and all of my shame. Behold, the Lamb of God, that's what it should do in us when we look and realize what Jesus has done in our place. Behold, the Lamb of God who took on all of my sin and all of my shame, who takes away the sin of the world. When we look to the cross and we say, you know what? When Jesus died on that cross, it counted for me. It took the punishment that I deserve. And my response is surrender. My response is worship. My response is simply to believe, to repent and receive the gift of salvation. Look at what he's done. I want to remind you this morning, if you've been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, Scripture says that without the shedding of blood, that there's no remission of sin. If you've been saved by Jesus, I want to ask you, are you a kingdom influencer? Because, see, we have a tendency to focus on us. We have a tendency to make our name great. Like, if I was John, I mean, there could be this thing, like, who are you? And he's like, well, I don't know if you heard, like, how, you know, how, how, how my parents found out I was coming. And, you know, my daddy's a priest. And, I'm, I mean, really, I, honestly, I'm kind of a big deal, you know. That's who I am. That's who I am, right? You can read about me in the Old Testament. I, like Malachi, Isaiah, you heard of those guys? They, they talked about me. I, if I pulled up on his Instagram, like, the way we think today, he might even have influencer, right? That's what I am. The reality is that John the Baptist said, he, I must decrease and he must increase. You want to know what it looks like to be great? Jesus said in Matthew eleven eleven. he said there's, among those born of woman, he said there's not one that's arisen greater than John the Baptist. He said he is the greatest and he's become least.
Some of you think two extremes. You think, you know what, I'm so bad. I can't make a difference. God can't use me. I'm so unworthy. I'm so, and, and like there's a sense of that. Like us recognizing our unworthiness. Oh, I, I get that, right? John wasn't focused on his unworthiness. He was focused on the worthiness of a king. He said, comparing him, he said, there's one coming after me. He said, I'm not even worthy to tie his shoelaces. I ain't worthy to do nothing. But I'm going to take everything that I have all of my life, and I'm pointing people to Jesus. I'm just a voice that, that's crying out in the midst of this, preparing the way of the Lord, right? Some of you think you can't make a difference, that you don't have enough influence. You have influence. You have influence in your family. You have influence in so many incredible ways. And here's what John did. He he looked at the Savior. Behold, the Lamb of God. And he did what I'm going to challenge every one of us to do. He lost his self in sight of the Savior. He looked at Jesus and he said, right there, that's what is important. That's what's important. The Lamb of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And for that, I'm going to use all of my influence and every platform. Because here's the deal. If you have any platform and if you have any people, it's because Jesus gave them to you. And he's given them to you that you might use them for the glory of his name. And I just pray that this morning somehow we could reflect on what God has done. We could reflect on who he is and that we might lose ourselves in light of the Savior. And that we might live our lives in a way that would give him glory. That would reflect his glory to a lost and dying world. We're going to look at the practical ways that that can happen next week. But for this week, I pray that there could be a moment of surrender in our lives where we would just get lost in the sight of Jesus, that we might lose ourselves, that we might respond like John in humility. Not about me, it's all about 